You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome to the local angle on FanDuel TV. I'm Shiel Kapadia from the Ringers Philly Special, joined by Ben Solak to talk about the Eagles getting blown out for the second week in a row this time to the Dallas Cowboys. Later, we'll have Jason Goff from the full go breaking down the Bears. How about the Bears with the upset win against the Lions? Then it will be Brian Barrett and James White from the Off the Pike pod to talk about the Patriots getting a W on Thursday night against the Steelers. And finally, JJ John Jastrzemski to talk about another win, the New York Jets winning today, beating the Houston Texans at home. And he'll, of course, also preview Monday night's matchup between the Giants and the Packers. But Benny Souls, I mean, usually I'm on here. We're talking about those other teams being losers. They all I was lose. Just, I was just thinking this. Eagles come in. They, they win. We'll talk about a winning team. Now it's the opposite. It has to be the first time all season. We're talking about the other teams all got wins. Eagles lose second week in a row, blown out last week, blown out by the Niners this week, blown out by the Cowboys now tied with both those teams at 10 and three in the NFC last week after that Niners game, you did not, your, your panic level was not high. You said, I'm a you mm-hmm. know, 49ers are a great team. Eagles didn't play well. It happens. Where is your panic level now? After that Eagles loss to the Cowboys, let's start there. Yeah, I mean it, it. It it's higher after the second loss than the first. That's kind of my policy. Is the more embarrassing <laughs> multi-score losses that you have to contenders in your own conference, the more panicked you feel. I um, the the really demoralizing thing about this game, Shields, that they were never in it. Right, they just walked out. Ball moved down the field on them. Looked like they were they were all right. They were going to go punch for punch. They get the ball in the red zone. They fumble it away. All of a sudden, they're down two scores, and they're down two scores the rest of the way. The, the offense never gets the huge explosive play, the big catch and run to give them a quick score and get back into it. The defense tried to give them that. Fletcher Cox, strip sack, uh, uh, Dak Prescott, Jalen Carter, pick it up and run. And then the Cowboys just get down the field, kick another field goal, two touchdown game. Eagles try to get down the field again and another fumble. It never felt like the offense had the requisite desperation uh, for the moment. It, it, uh, it was the first time in a long time it felt like the Eagles didn't know what to do in that moment. They didn't know what to do in that game script. That's a concerning thing, right? It's now back-to-back weeks, like I said, of a blowout loss to a conference champion contender. So now you have a month left of football. You have the Seahawks. You have the Giants twice. You got teams you have to beat in the conference to retain positioning and still hold on to that one seed as tightly as you can. But far more importantly, you need some get-right games. You got to drop 40 on somebody. You got to beat somebody by 30. You got to remember what this feels like because you can't have this same taste in your mouth the next time you go to play the Cowboys or the Niners. We get to January football. Because it's chalked if you do. Like you have to return to some sense of of championship team, that sense of dominating team the Eagles were. And they aren't that right now. Offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, from a scheme perspective, from a personnel perspective, they're just not playing dominant ball the way we used to see them play. 
Can I tell you how I, I mean, that was, that was a measured take. I usually like to offer measured takes. I feel a little bit more like this team is being exposed for the team. It's been for most of the season when they were squeaking out some of these wins against the commanders, you know, twice in the season and, and the bills blow it at the end of that game and the chiefs. Now they were in those games. They didn't get blown out by those very good teams, but I just feel like we've had so many shows this year where we come on after a win and say, Hey, they just, they found a way to win. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I, I look back at myself who was saying that after some shows and say, you're a fraud, you know, weak, nine shield because you never believe there's just this thing is finding a way to win you like to look at the data and what does the data tell me the data tells me ben since 2000 there have been 106 teams that have had 10 or 10 wins or more through week 14 of the season and the eagles have a plus 21 point differential they rank 103rd out of those 106 teams i think they were getting Good bounce after good bounce after good bounce. Not to say they weren't competitive in those games. This version of the Eagles is definitely worse than those versions of the Eagles, but they've had flaws kind of all along, all season long, and they haven't corrected them. And they've relied on one, they've relied on their best players, just like, oh, AJ Brown's going to go make a play. Oh, Devontae Smith's going to go make a play. Oh, Jalen Hurts is, oh, Josh Sweat. But like when that doesn't happen, what are the coaches doing to like, are they giving you any type of edge right now? Are, are they putting players in position to succeed? Are there things you can point to on the chalkboard or in the game plan to say, oh, okay, you know, this the, the coaches are helping yeah. them right now. They're giving them an edge. Because I'm not going to, like, rip a coach who's barely lost a game in the last two years. But that is kind of how I feel. We, we both watched football games all day Sunday. And you can pick out, ooh, look at, look at what you, the Seahawks. Even that, I remember that little middle screen they had to Colby Parkinson. The 49ers, it shows up every freaking single week. Uh, Brian Flores, what he's doing with the Minnesota Vikings defense. The Indianapolis and Colts I, and Shane Steichen. Yeah, I mean, you and I could go on. Well, you know what? I think that's, honestly, I think the way they won last year is similar to the way that they played this year. Now, you might disagree with me there, but what is your, so your that, feel? Yeah. Let's get to that in a, in a minute. But what is your feel to that, that they're just kind of being a little bit exposed to what they've been for most of the season. So that that was going to be my response was I was uh, uh, like they're, they're winning on the backs of their star players. It's what they did last season, man. Like last season for a long time I into that, that winning streak, there were a lot, like it was like Eagles going to the Super Bowl, Eagles are the best, and I would come on this show a lot and I would get a lot of guff from Eagles fans where I was like, dude, like AJ Brown runs four routes, like they have nine plays, like they run one RPO just over and over again. Like this doesn't feel the way it's supposed to feel, right? I put up. Uh, a, the, a, a graphic of this during the game. The Eagles today on offense had targets for uh, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. Those are the only three players they targeted offensively, right? Alameda Zacchaeus also had a, a, a catch and a target, but that was on special teams, right? That wasn't on offense. Is this Otherwise, true? It was that's amazing. I'm, 13 I'm targets. Four just funnel those 13 targets, targets for players. AJ Brown. They took it to the extreme. Yeah, 13, 13 targets, targets for AJ Brown, 10 targets for Devontae Smith, four for Dallas Goddard. He caught all four. And then Alamba Zedekias, one, one catch on one target, 28 yards. That was the fake punt. Uh, Brendan Man, Braden Mann with, with the throw. They just, they, like, we have a few guys we throw it to. That's it, right? They called the Jalen Hurts QB draw, like, four or five times. Like, this, the, it, is, it is an unbelievably simple offense, but it has been. And they've been really successful with that for a long time. So is this just the reckoning come? Like, is this just, okay, like, you can't get away for, with this for that long? Or is it? You had your star players, and AJ Brown dropped the ball inside of the ten. Devontae Smith dropped the ball inside of the end zone. Also, both those guys fumbled it. Like they had bad days from their star players. Because you can't, you can't, you don't want to fix what ain't broke. And I, I think it might be a little broke, but I don't think it's like emphatically broke. So number one, I think a lot of the stuff that's frustrating about them right now 
is also stuff that they've been winning with for a long time. So there's that idea. The other idea that I would say is I, I agree that the Eagles were scraping away with wins and, and weren't as good of a team, right? Like you brought that 10 win team stat out of 106 teams that are 100 and, th- and, 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 and third and point differential. They're not as good as a usual 10 win team is. I still don't think they're like bad. I think they're probably like an right. eight and five team, right? Like they're, I agree they're a little with bit that. more like, like in that area. And the reason for that is after, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Vikings game and the Tampa Bay game early and the, the, the commander's overtime game, I sat here before that Rams game and I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they dropped this game. Like this is like this Rams team is a good, good team. We've seen this Rams office out for a while. Like this is a scary offense. Uh, I, I don't think they're exactly what we thought they were. And they beat the Rams on multiple scores and they held the Rams to uh, like 11 points or something, 14 points. Two weeks later, they have the Dolphins. And I was like, man, like this secondary is slow. They can't tackle. They're not equipped for this. Dolphins are going to expose this team. They held the Dolphins to 17 points. They beat them by 14 points. They've had a couple of games where I've been like, all right, here comes the hammer for the, 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 like the way, like this team is, is not as good as their record seems and as good as a one loss team in imply. And then it didn't come. And then that, that first Dallas game and that Chiefs game and that Bills game, it's like, okay, like, these are the ones where they're really scraping by by the skin on their teeth, and now you, you feel that hammer drop. And so I, I, I agree with you. They're not as good as the usual 10-win team. Absolutely, their flaws are being exposed and exploited. We can talk about that a lot, I think, as the show goes on. But they've been successful with this formula for a long time, and they've escaped some like clear, we should, we should lose in these spot, spots, still relying on this formula. That's why I'm not fully near the panic button, is because this is the first time we've seen them go through this, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm not saying they stink. They don't stink. I'm not even saying they're mediocre. I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team right now, and it's probably recency bias. I have a hard time picturing this team coming out of the NFC and rep, you know representing the NFC in the Super mm-hmm. Bowl right now. Maybe my opinion will change a month from now. We'll see injuries. The flaws that I see right now seem like they would be very hard to fix in the span of one month. Like, uh, I don't know, like, especially now you lose this game. So what it means in the big picture now uh, is that the 49ers control their fate for the one seed in the NFC. If the 49ers win out, they get the buy, they get the one seed. So now you're talking about a scenario where you potentially have to beat the Cowboys and then go to San Francisco and beat the 49ers to get to the Super Bowl. That to me is a, a tall task, which can it happen? Sure. I mean, listen, the Eagles yeah. have barely lost a game in like two years. So again, I'm trying not to overreact here in my head right now. That would be very hard to do. If the Eagles win the rest of their games now, if they win out, they still actually have over a 50% chance of getting the bye. And that's because the 49ers have a harder remaining schedule. The 49ers have at Cardinals, home against the Ravens, at the Commanders, home against the Rams. Eagles have at Seattle, which oh my goodness, this becomes like just a monstrous game next week for the Eagles. Yeah. Because after that, they have Giants, Cardinals at Giants. I mean, if you lose one of those games, like forget about it. We, we don't Ball even need to mention Super Bowl uh, on the pod. So um, that that's kind of what you lost by losing this game tonight to Dallas. Now, again, you still control your fate for the NFC East. If you win out, uh, you win the NFC East because you're going to win that tiebreaker break, uh, over the Cowboys. But your margin for error here is a lot smaller. So, uh some of those things in terms of, you know, what's fixable and what's not, we probably have to start with the defense, I think. I mean, they they went through a stretch here, the end of last game and the beginning of this game where they had given up a touchdown on 9 of 11 possessions. The other two, one was yeah. a field goal and one was a kneel down. And it's just like I look at this team 
uh, Ben, and they are, you know, they invested so much in the, in the pass rush in the defensive line. This has been the organizational philosophy since Jeffrey Lurie took over and, and certainly since uh, under Howie Roseman. This pass rush on third down, and, and these stats might not be completely up to date because, yeah, I was looking them up in the middle of the fourth quarter because it wasn't a game. On third down, they had the worst sack rate in the entire NFL. Their pressure rate is 28th. And you can say, well, aren't teams getting rid of the football quickly? Not according to the numbers. Uh, opponents are getting rid of the football 2.92 seconds on third down compared to 2.95 seconds uh, league average. So I can't tell you exactly why that is. Are guys getting uh, gassed? Are they underachieving? Are they playing with injuries we don't know about? Is the coverage just not doing um, you know, it, its job in making quarterbacks hold on to the football just a little bit longer in some of those key situations? But we just know how this team is built. And we've talked about so many games where it's like, oh, the pass rush got a big sack on third down and they ended the game. Oh my gosh, they're so clutch. When that doesn't happen, these old corners, these bad linebackers, these unproven safeties, it's just like everybody gets exposed at once and there's no plan B. So that's the big part I'm looking at saying, I don't know that any of that is fixable between now and when you have to face the Cowboys and or the 49ers in the playoffs. Next up is Jason Goff from the full go to break down. How about that Bears win against the Lions? Justin Fields looking good. What does it mean for the Bears the rest of the season? Jason will talk about that. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Welcome into episode, what is it? 326 of the Full Go Podcast. Episode 326 of the Full Go Podcast. Brought to you by The Ring and, of course, Spotify's the gang. I am Jason Goff. Thank you to all of our FanDuel TV folks out there. Shout out to everybody at FanDuel Sportsbook, especially everyone on FanDuel TV. This is The Local Angle, and welcome on in. You know, a lot of these, you, you've got a chance to come on into the Chicago side of things and just feel doom and gloom and despair and, and just the, the, the fire and brimstone that is Bears football. But not this week. Not these back-to-back weeks, because for the first time in Matt Eberflus's coaching career, and I know it's all been of two years, but for the first time in his career, he's got back-to-back wins under his belt. And dare I say, Chicago Bears fans, that this thing is starting to look like what it's supposed to look like at the beginning of this season or what we thought it should look like at the beginning of this season. All I know is for the last four games, the Bears have one of the best defenses in the league by the numbers. And it's strictly by the numbers. No matter who you're playing, no matter which quarterback you are going up against, this defense over the last four games since acquiring Montez Sweat, and it's by no chances by it's not the, the circumstances aren't odd or you know you can't scratch your head and wonder they got themselves a kicker up front and and a team that should have been building on both sides of the line of scrimmage and has been attempting to build on both sides of the line of scrimmage finally got one right and for all the ryan poles consternation that i have had personally as a bears fan and my wait and see kind of vibe where you know okay roquan smith isn't here anymore he's out here kicking everybody's and Chase Claypool, you traded for a second round. Like all the things that I've stacked up in my head on the negative side for Ryan Poles. Hey, bravo, my man. Montez Sweat is one of those. 
He is one of those dudes. And and I, I said it a couple of pods ago about the Julius Peppers effect. And no way am I putting my test sweat in the Julius Peppers category. But once you get an ass kicker on the defensive line, everybody becomes better. All of a sudden, Justin Jones is getting to the quarterback. All of a sudden, a rookie who is better than he was at the beginning of the season. And Javon Dexter Sr. has slowly but surely climbed that professional mountaintop where he's expected to make plays. And he's actually making those plays. And then you know, the Demarcus Walkers of the world fill in, the Rasheem Grant to the world fill in. But Montez Sweat has shown these last few weeks that he is not only a difference maker, but a dude that you should pay. And he, they paid him, right? When you when you trade a second round pick for a guy, knowing that the defensive end talent in the draft was not going to be up to snuff or what it has been in the past drafts, you go out there and you plug a hole. And they plug that hole with not only a professional, but a difference maker. And shout out to the rest of the defense as well, because everything that I've been saying about Jalen Johnson and you know every time he drops a pick how Ryan Poles is sitting there taking numbers off of that contract well this is a few straight games now where Jalen Johnson has found himself in the middle of an interception and bravo to the Bears defense for finally intercepting passes with regularity over the last couple of weeks what do they got nine interceptions over the last three weeks 11 turnovers 11 takeaways I should say my man Lance Briggs gonna get upset with me but 11 takeaways over the last three weeks this defense is playing the caliber of defense that you have to play when you've got a sputtering offense, when you've got an unsure offense, when you've got an offense that is still trying to piece itself together. There's a lot of playmakers. And Jaquan Brisker, I'm going to go back and watch the game again just simply to watch what Jaquan Brisker was able to do out there. Now, I looked at the stat sheet, and I was surprised at the number because he was around a lot of plays. 17 tackles for your safety usually feels like there's something wrong, like people just making plays on your all-downfield, but we know that Jaquan is an in-the-box safety, and he chased down a lot of dudes today. And by the way, Sam Laporta, who is quickly becoming one of the better tight ends in the NFC in his rookie year, he was held to what? Six targets, couple of catches, 20-some-odd yards. You know, I'm on Ross St. Brown, matched up against Tyreek Stevenson, matched up against Kyler Gordon in the slot, not too many times with Jalen Johnson over him. I'm on Ross St. Brown, just a Pro Bowl receiver. There's a dude who pretty much is an extension of the run game, got shut down. Jared Goff. For whatever reason, the last couple of times he's seen the Bears, he's given the football away. So for all the shots that this defense has taken, and rightfully so for me in the beginning of this season, they made a move that improved the rest of the crew. And that's Montez Sweat move, the ripple effect you're seeing throughout. Tremaine Edmonds is allowed to make plays on the football now because that ball is coming out. You know, TJ Edwards, three straight games now with turnovers forced. So in the end, we Bears fans understand what a good defense looks like. We, we, we don't know what the hell it looks like to groom a quarterback or be around for the development of a quarterback or the nurturing of a quarterback or every week being a referendum on the quarterback's viability, but we know what the hell a good defense looks like. And if you're not, if you're not up to snuff right, as of yet, it's a good time to get in on the, on the ground level of the Bears defense. And this also is a tip of the cap to Matt Eberflus. And I know everybody's sitting back like, what the hell? What got into Jay? Why, why is he talking so swimmingly and so, and so glowingly about this coaching staff? It's going to stop. Don't get don't 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 get it twisted. It's gonna cut short here in a couple of minutes because you know who I'm getting ready to talk about. But Matt Eberflus, I've never questioned if he was a good defensive coordinator. We saw it in Indianapolis. All right. 
The man, it, it took a couple of HR scandals for the man to, to get the play calling duties. And for the last three or four weeks, we've seen him dial up more pressure than we're used to seeing out of a cover two, especially in this defense. We've seen him put rookies in places and have them coached up enough by his defensive backs coach as the defensive coordinator and as the defensive play caller, the, the, the Terrell Smith fifth round Minnesota find. You know, if the guy hadn't been hurt over the last six weeks, I would have really loved to see his maturation. This dude played important snaps at corner for you, starting. Okay, so the, all the things, the, the, the clock management, the, the sayings, uh, you know, when to go forth on fourth down, all the things that we have questioned about Matt Eberflus and all the reasons why Matt Eberflus should still lose his job are still in place. But the last three or four weeks has truly shown what he's good at. Right. And it's okay to be good at one thing and maybe not the best at another. It's about to happen with the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator right now. They got Stephon Gilmore, Deron Bland has returned what five pick sixes. He got Micah Parsons getting let off the leash anytime he wants. Dan Quinn looks like the best defensive coordinator in all of football. And guess what he's gonna be? A mid coach. You know why? Because that's what Dan Quinn is. He's going to get a head coaching job and he's going to be mid somewhere and they're going to fire him and he's going to be a terrific defensive coordinator soon to follow. I think that's what Matty Eberflus might be. Just a damn good defensive coordinator. And in a time where you need some kind of building blocks, you need some evaluating tools, the defense has supplied that for you. Now let's talk about what happened on the offensive side of the football. You know, Luke Getze still should be punted into the sun. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what Justin Fields and them boys did to recognize and then, you know, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat because that second half was looking a little sh- – hell, the end of the first half was looking a little shaky. Luke Getze, if if fourth and one – I believe, yeah, fourth and one in, 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 the, in the second quarter where you get a misdirection pitch to DJ Moore – in a short yardage situation with a quarterback who ran for a thousand yards last year with a guy in Dante Foreman, who all he is is a road grader. Let's face it. Like the bears don't have a bunch of speed merchants at running back. There's a whole bunch of ways you can go. Hell you like so much on that tight end screen, the cold commit. Hey, give him one of them joints right here at the line of scrimmage. But, but flipping the ball with no jet action, no, no, nothing to move the defensive defense's eyes against the defense that just lines up and plays against you. That Detroit Lions defense doesn't do a whole bunch of scheming, doesn't do a whole bunch of disguising, rolling the safety down and backing a linebacker up, zone blitzing. They don't do none of that. All they do is line up and play you. So in, in that in that vein, knowing that on fourth and one, all they're doing is playing man up, man up, short yardage, goal line, essentially defense, a flip to DJ Moore, a flip backwards, by the way, three yards in the backfield to your wide receiver so he can, uh, you know, have more punishment inflicted on him. It's a horrible play call. And it was a play call that stood out to me because those kinds of things have changed the course of football games over this last two years under Luke Getze's play calling. But then again, you got to give him credit for how things opened up in the second half. I'll say this about Justin Fields, y'all. Justin Fields is putting on tape for whoever's going to have him next year exactly how he should be coached. 
It's as simple as that. And anytime I get to this point of the conversation, I've asked everyone around me. I've asked people I trust, football players and and ex-scouts alike. You know, the three people that I put in the room and I say, hey, who's doing their job the worst? And if those three people are in the room and it's Matt Eberflus, Luke Getzey, and Justin Fields, guess who gets to come out of that room feeling good about himself? It's Justin Fields. It's as simple as that. Justin Fields has had many a play against that Detroit Lions team too, by the way. Many a play where it's like, oh my God, this is dynamic. This is next level. But you're not going to tell me that a dude who doesn't comprehend the quarterback position, who doesn't have the instincts, who doesn't have the 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 quick twitch reaction time, the fourth and 13 play will go down for me as Justin Fields' best play as a Chicago Bear. Everything that happened on that play while they're in their own territory trying to bait the Detroit Lions to jump off sides and everything that was going on around him. Justin Fields noticed something at the line of scrimmage. He and Lucas Patrick started to communicate. Next thing you know, I've watched the play several times now. Tevin Jenkins starts to do the dummy calls and starts to point all over the place and I'm like oh okay they trying to get him to jump and then Cole Komet and this is like this is I guess real nerd stuff and and shout out to the local angle folks who ain't gonna have time to go back and watch the YouTube or watch the tape or watch the all 22 Cole Komet looks over at Darnell Mooney and does something with his hands and you can see Darnell Mooney go "Ah, what the is that I don't know what's going on here Every 21 other people on the field thought that the ball was not going to be snapped. And next thing you know, Aiden Hutchinson jumps off sides. And in that moment, Justin Fields had a free play. And the likes of which we have only seen in this division by Aaron Rodgers, who has benefited from many a free play over the last 17, 18 years, now doing it in New York. Well, not truly doing it in New York. I guess it is a free play anytime that you can go on a nationally televised syndicated show and espouse your ridiculous untruths about science and all the medical things that you don't know. But I guess he does have free plays now. All I know is Justin Fields had a free play immediately got the ball hiked to him you get the rush kind of subdued for a couple of seconds because what happens when when you see the flag in your offsides you stop playing for a second DJ Moore took it back to the sandlot hey you he, hey you you go up to the Toyota Cressida and you just you just bust a left you know like they, they drew it up damn near in the sand and Justin Fields had the wherewithal and the accuracy and the pinpoint accuracy to drop a dime on that dude and score a touchdown I'm telling y'all right now all the runs the touchdown run that we saw all the runs in the first half all the yards that he accumulated from scrimmage Justin Fields ladies and gentlemen ain't the problem here not just Justin Fields might be broken. Justin Fields might have a lot of growth that's left to do. And of course the contract clock being what it is. And also the new contract clock for the next starting quarterback. Maybe that's drafted with the first overall pick. Cause the Carolina Panthers are, and they ain't winning the game anytime soon. Whatever's going to happen here, whether it be Caleb Williams, Joe Alt, Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., Marvin Harrison Jr., and Joe Alt, whatever combination of people you want to see and have in Bears, Orange, and Blue, I'm going to tell you right now, you know and I know that that dude ain't the problem, okay? And if he ain't here, I understand the business. All I know is that years now have been wasted in terms of his development and maturation, and even in a win, you can see what this dude can become. This is a good time to be a Bears 
Bears fan these last couple of weeks. They're in the hunt. We're going to talk about how in the hunt they are in our next couple of segments. But for all the FanDuel TV folks, for all the local angle folks, we appreciate you as always. We're going to keep this thing going. You can catch us every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday. And when there's an emergency pod, like when a Bulls player doesn't want to play with his team and they go on a 4 one How about that? We'll catch y'all later right here on the Full Goal Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. All right, finally, let's get to John Jastrzemski. JJ talking about Zach Wilson. Look at this version of Zach Wilson. Just tearing up the Houston Texans. Jets beat Houston. They'll break that down. And, of course, look ahead to Monday Night Football. Giants host the Green Bay Packers. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. to the local angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York. And to me, the best way to sum up week 14 from a New York Jets perspective is too little, too late. Too little, too late. Yes, we are talking about a Jet win over the Houston Texans, a Texan team that did not have Tank Dell, a Texan team that lost Nico Collins, a Texan team that on Sunday in treacherous conditions at MetLife Stadium was incapable of moving the football. They could not make plays down the field. C.J. Stroud was all out of sorts. And you commend the Jet defense that has played quite well all year. They put together one of their best and one of their most dominant performances of the season. You also had the much maligned Zach Wilson take the reins back from Tim Boyle. After the coaching staff watching him against the Buffalo Bills, decided enough was enough. They went to Boyle for the Miami game. Disaster. They went to Boyle and Simeon for the Atlanta game. Disaster. They said at this point, why not? Let's see what Zach Wilson can do. The former number two pick over the final five weeks of the season. Now, this is where in the sake of fairness, and that's what we do here on New York, New York. That's what we do here when we come on the local angle. I am not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to call it. I'm going to tell you what I see. I tell like it is. That's what we do around here. I have to commend Zach Wilson for today. Even though the Jets were shut out in the first half and stalled out like crazy, Zach Wilson orchestrated multiple touchdown drops. Zach Wilson got his team home for pay dirt. He made impressive throws. He was making things happen with his legs. He was making 
impressive, deep, all sorts of like, wow, I can't believe this quarterback can do these sort of plays and see these sort of instances. I'm stunned. He was incredible. Like, there's no beating around the bush. That is the best game and the best performance I have ever seen from Zach Wilson. Looked like a guy who might at one point in time been the number two pick in the draft. So I commend him for that. And I applaud him for that. But the idea now that the Zach Wilson truthers are about to come and get me because of one measly game against the Texans, that this now all of a sudden validates Zach Wilson, that he shouldn't have been benched, that he's been unfairly criticized, he's been unfairly handled, couldn't be further from the truth. Couldn't be more nonsense. Now all of a sudden it's everybody but Zach's fault? How about the Charger game? How about the Raider game? How about the Buffalo game? That would be killing me today if I'm a Jet fan, because I'd be looking up and down the AFC where it is wide open for those final couple of playoff spots. You got 10 zillion seven and six teams from Denver to Houston to Buffalo, who obviously had a monster win against Kansas City. You got Pittsburgh in that mix. You got Indy and Cincinnati in that mix. Like everybody fighting for the playoffs is at seven and six. Legit everybody. You couldn't be in that position because Zach Wilson was that bad against the Chargers and against the Raiders in games that, let's be real, the Jets easily could have and, dare I say, should have won. The Jets are 5-8 and eight at the moment, right? They win one of those games, they're at 6-7. and seven. They win two of those games. What's their record? Do the math. Doesn't take a Syracuse degree to figure that one out. Seven and six, right? Seven and six. And you'd be able to not only dream about the postseason, you'd be able to dream about even the fantasy of Aaron Rodgers making this ludicrous, incredible comeback off the quote-unquote torn Achilles. That would all be on the table from a Jet perspective. Instead, it's one monster game against the Texans in which I'm just sitting there saying to myself, whoopty freaking do Zach Wilson had a moment. What does it mean? As far as I'm concerned, absolutely nothing. Let me see it against Miami next week. Let me see it the following week if he plays against Washington. And even if, Zach Wilson finished a monster flurry of the year over the next five weeks. And the Jets, let's say, got to eight wins, which would really be saying something considering they have Miami and Cleveland both on the road on their schedule. You're giving the Jets eight, that means they go what? They're five and eight right now. That'd be giving them three and one in the next four games. That'd be impressive. Would you want to go into next year with this guy as your backup quarterback after what we've gone through in 2023? So before you start getting giddy about one game against the Houston Texans, put all of these things into perspective. Ask yourself all of these questions, and you should come up with and get these sort of answers that we all kind of should, dare I say, agree on. Just a little food for thought.
But the Jets do beat the Texans today. And you want to know who the biggest winners of Sunday were? Robert Salinger, Douglas. And the fact that you had a report from my buddy Connor Hughes over at SOI saying that they are safe no matter what going into 2024, I think it tells you where the Jets kind of feel their operation is at. Aaron went down in week one. That is the ultimate get out of jail free card. And let's see what we can do in a make or break encore for Douglas, Sala, Rogers, and on and on we go in Jetland. But as far as Zach Wilson, the big effort, too little, too late. Now, we have another football team playing, and they'll be playing later on tonight in the Monday Night Football Double Dip. The Giants as six-and-a-half-point underdogs at home against the red-hot Jordan Love and the red-hot Green Bay Packers. Look, the Giants have won two games in a row. They have beaten Washington, a game in which they forced five turnovers. They beat New England, a game in which it was anything but easy on the eyes. They're going up in weight class against the Packers. I understand Christian Watson's not going to be playing. I know the Packers are coming off their win of the year against the Kansas City Chiefs at Lambeau Field. And you want to make the argument to me that this game could be competitive, that this game could be tightly contested? Yeah, you could easily sell me on that. Do I see Tommy DeVito on Monday night making enough plays to go and win this game and continue this sort of rags to riches type of storyline. Because in reality, the Giants four and eight, and they were two and eight as of two weeks ago or three weeks ago. That's the storyline they have going at this point in time. It's the Jersey kid. It's the guy off the practice squad. It's the parents. They're smoking cigars. They're hooting and hollering. You know, they're into it. Cheering on their son, kind of embracing this Jersey Italian New York Giants storyline. Can it maybe gain a little bit more steam with the victory here against Green Bay? Where it's like, wow, now he's five and eight. Can he do it again? Giants are not making the playoffs. They got two games left with Philadelphia. They don't have the talent. They don't have the horses. Much like the Jets, too little, too late as far as them starting to get their season back on track. But that to me is the storyline going into Monday night. Can DeVito go and do it again. And that's why the Giants made the right call and sticking with DeVito for another week as opposed to going back to Tyrod Taylor. It's not that DeVito is necessarily a better quarterback than Taylor. He's not. But he's won two games in a row. The Giants have themselves a feel-good storyline in what otherwise has been a rotten season. So from that standpoint, it just makes sense. Last but not least, before we get a pick on the Monday night football games from our buddy Jeff Money, I'm still basking in the glory. And how could you not be? If you're a New York Yankee fan, Juan freaking Soto. This trade went down a couple of days ago. I'm still glowing, beaming, smiling ear to ear over the idea that Juan Soto is a New York Yankee. Oh, that is an Absolute thing of beauty. One of the best players in all of baseball. A lefty that will balance the lineup. Walks money, strikes out. He's 25 years old. He's already won a World Series for the Washington Nationals. Juan Soto has done it all. In a very early age. And now he's about to cash in. So he'll be with the Yankees for a year. Yes, you're going to have to sweat the narrative of whether or not he'll be back long-term. 
But if I'm a Yankee fan with how run and how vile 82 and 80 was a year ago, the idea of Soto being in the mix is just bliss. You know what would be even better? The idea of landing Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And it looks like there's going to be a good old-fashioned New York, New York bidding war that will be brewing over the next few days. Steve Cohen, Mets owner, David Stearns have already met with Yamamoto in Japan. Shows you those guys took the fight over, made the extra effort. This is somebody that they want. The Yankees trying to sell them on the brand. Brian Cashman talking about building this like mecca of baseball with the Yankees. I'm sure that's a selling point with Hideki Matsui and with Masahiro Tanaka from a Yankee standpoint. I don't know what Yamamoto wants. Is it the prestige and tradition of Yankee pinstripes? Or is it the big fat checkbook of the richest owner in the sport and playing alongside Kodai Senga? We're going to find out, I think, over the next week or so. But I do think with Shohei Otani now, a Los Angeles Dodger for $700 million, I don't think Yamamoto will be a Dodger. I think it will be the Yankees or the Mets. Good old-fashioned New York, New York, free agent, big war. And maybe a precursor to what will happen next year with Juan Soto. All right, Jeff Money, it's Monday Night Football. Stay hot, big boy. What do you got for us? What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap effectively for Monday for December 11th. Uh, we've got two Monday night actually. You already know the one, one of them I'm taking. I'm taking the Dolphins part of our five play. They were minus 13 over the Titans. The other game we're going to take, we're going to go with the Green Bay Packers minus the six and a half over the New York Giants. Again, two plays. I'm going to go with your Dolphins minus the 13 from our super contest plays. And I'm going to add a bonus play. I'm going to take the Packers minus the six and a half. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ. I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money, rolling with both favorites on Monday night. Dolphins laying the heavy lumber against the beat-up Tennessee Titans. Issues on the offensive line. No Jeffrey Simmons. Big number, though, on a primetime game. That's a monstrous, monstrous spread to go and cover 13. Uh, I hope it happens. I'll be in the building to watch my Dolphins take on Tennessee. And the the giant Packer game, it's a tough number. I feel like a reckoning is going to happen for the Giants. I just don't love the spot with Green Bay coming off their biggest win of the year. I'd probably agree with you, but I'd be holding my nose. Wouldn't feel great about the pick. That's going to do it for New York, New York here on The Local Angle. All right, next up, we've got Brian Barrett and James White from Off the Pike to talk about a rare Patriots win. Patriots take care of business Thursday night. Bailey Zappi and company against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing for draft positioning? Let's see what Brian and James have to say. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians 
who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now, as he does each and every week, is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. And James, ordinarily, we're talking about, hey, how did the Patriots mess this one up? Who's going to be the quarterback next week? But you know what? We're talking about a win for the Patriots. And before everybody panics about draft stock, they still have the strength of schedule advantage over the Cardinals. So right now, the Patriots are three losses, the Cardinals with, or the Patriots are three wins, the Cardinals with three wins. I never thought that they would catch the Panthers just because I think it's going to be difficult for that Panthers team to win a football game. So in the grand scheme of things, the Patriots in all likelihood were going to draft second, and I don't think this affects them that much considering you have the Chiefs coming up, you have the Broncos coming up on the road in Denver, Buffalo on the road, and then the Jets at the end of the season. So I think the Patriots are okay from a draft position because you (laughs) still want to draft a quarterback early. But the one thing I will say, the defense deserves a lot of credit, James. Bailey Zappi played really well in the first half, not so much in the second half of the game, but I thought the guy that deserves a lot of credit is somebody that I've criticized throughout the season, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster, because I felt like that throw on the first series of the game that Bailey Zappi made, it was a risk that he (laughs) took, his guy came down with it, and so many times this season, not to defend the quarterbacks, the receivers haven't made the big play. And I do think that that play that Juju made, and I'm not defending his season, as I said, I've criticized him plenty, I thought that sort of gave Zappy the freedom to be like, all right, I'm going to take some chances here because my guy made a play early. And that was really, to me, the thing that got Zappy in this offense going was a huge play that Juju made against his former team. You have to give Juju a lot of credit. Maybe that's what it was. He came ready to go against his former football team, playing back on his old stomping grounds. Early on in the football game, you give your receiver opportunity one-on-one. He goes up and catches his. That's the type of player that he that he was. He, it hasn't been like that this year. He's a contested catch guy and a run after catch guy. He's not the the greatest route runner. He can create separation, but he's dangerous mostly when he gets the ball in his hand, catch and run, or he can jump up and make an athletic play like that. And then you could tell like after that, Zappy was letting it fly, even when he really probably shouldn't have. He he was throwing it down the field, giving guys opportunities. But you have to give Zap, you know, credit that first half. You know, he was energized. He was he was fired up, scoring the touchdowns, threw a couple of dimes to Hunter Henry. And like I said, it, it was enough. And then it was more than what we've seen, you know, all year long. The offensive line, got to give him credit as well. You know, T.J. Watt, whether he got banged up that first play or not, you know, he wasn't quite upset, but we didn't hear his name called. Highsmith ended up going out in the game. So they, they protected well, you know, gave Zap enough time. Zeke made some huge plays too. So it was just good to see the guys go out and compete, you know, I know they didn't score in the second half, but they competed for the entire game. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing, too, just looking at Zappy in this game is the first half he throws for three touchdowns, which, James, this is not Mike Reese had the stat. This hasn't happened in a game from a Patriots quarterback since you were on the team in 2018 with Tom Brady. That's how long it's been since the Patriots have had that type of production from a quarterback in the first half. So and you mentioned the throws like I wonder if Zappy doesn't make that throw to Juju early in the game. Does he throw that bomb down the field to Hunter Henry, which I thought that was probably his best overall throw of the game, right? Where the safety's there, the corner's there, he gets to, he throws it right over the safety, perfect touchdown pass there. And I do think, too, getting back to Zappi, another thing that helped him was the defense, where the second touchdown, 
they set him up right there. I mean, that's as easy as can be from a red zone situation. And look, it's not like they got there many more times after this early in the game, but the Patriots first quarter, they're in the red zone twice. They came into the game with the fewest red zone trips in the entire NFL with 24. Now they didn't get back there after that, right? But it was just big to see them actually find something offensively, even if it disappeared in the second half of the game. This defense has been so good for so many weeks that they deserve this, right? They deserve their offense to give them some production. And look, they rewarded the offense with some field position. But I just look at it like the previous three weeks, they had 13 points. This week, they had 21 points and they won. Like, you don't have to score that many points with this (laughs) defense, especially considering what's on the other side with Mitchell Trubisky, who was just absolutely atrocious in this game. They're cheering for Mason Rudolph. Imagine that. A fan base was cheering for Mason Rudolph. (laughs) Yeah, the defense... They play hard every single week. They give this this offense plenty of opportunities to move the ball, try and score points, and which which was impressive. You know the Peppers interception, and they go down and score a touchdown, then result in zero points or just a field goal. You actually went in there and punched it in. That's the the complimentary football that we're accustomed to seeing. You know the defense did a great job of disguising coverages, making Mitch hold on to the football. You know he was unsure on his reads, and guys came up. You know made tackles on the most for the most part. And they stop their run game as well. If you stop the Pittsburgh Steelers run game, that's what really helps their passing game be going. If they're able to control the line of scrimmage, get Najee Harris going, get Jalen Warren going, that's when their team is at their best this season. So this this defense, another impressive performance. It's great to see them close it out as well. You know, you know Jonathan Jones, good coverage on Deontay Johnson on that that goal ball. Why why they threw that, I don't know. But you know, that's that's their problem. <laughs> that's not a high percentage play for them. But it's just good defense. And I said, all the guys came to play. Duggar, you know, early on in the game, Jennings, he was setting the edge, beating Darnell Washington a few times. So a lot of guys showed up, and it was a good team win. Yeah, and I thought, too, you mentioned in terms of confusing Trubisky, that interception they had. It's a third and 10, and that's where you want Trubisky, right, yeah. <laughs> where you know he has to throw the football. Duggar comes on a blitz, and that leads to the Peppers interception, which leads to the Patriots' second touchdown. And then I thought after halftime, it's a third and 11 to start the second half. Trubisky finds Hayward, Cam Hayward's brother, and then he leaps Jonathan Jones. They pick up a first down, and I'm thinking, okay, here is sort of where the game's going to change. They're going to go in a big drive. But after that, they end up forcing a punt. They bring Duggar on a blitz. So right then and there, you feel like, hey, they took seven minutes off the clock and they had to punt, which is obviously massive for the Patriots, right? And then... They were put in a bad position twice, once by the offense where Zappi had that bad interception. Not that interceptions are good, but that was a terrible interception considering the score of the game, where you were on the field, and they come up with a stop, right? They turn them over on downs. Now, unfortunately, the next time the, the Patriots have to punt the ball, they end up scoring on that when they took over at, what, the 16, or the, once was the 26, once was the 16, but at least one of those on the short field, they come up with a massive stop. So... That's where I think this defense in this game came up with critical plays. And they haven't had Judon forever. They haven't had Christian Gonzalez forever. And they're still able to perform at this level, which I go back and I look at sort of the outlook of this entire season. And we talked about this last week. The one thing I feel good about going forward with this team is some of the defensive personnel they have. But I feel bad for a lot of guys on that side of the ball. Like when you were playing, James, you guys were a dynasty, right? So Look, there were years where the defense wasn't great, but when you guys won in 14, 16, and 18, all those, especially 18 and 14, really, too, but you guys had outstanding defenses, I can't imagine what it feels like to be on the offensive side of things when you know you're letting down the defense, right? Like, you're not trying to do this, but the defense is playing so well. It's just going to be, and that's going to, like, affect the locker room at times. 